Good morning, everybody. Kara, thank you for the testimony today. We're gonna, I'm going to address that here in just a minute. Today, I, I titled the message, and we'll get to this more towards the end, but your restoration story. Because what I want us to, to understand as we're studying the book of Hebrews, you know, we've, we've kind of titled this whole thing a story worth sharing. Um, and, and what I want us to, hopefully, I think everybody's grasped this, but what I want you to really understand is that this is your story. Um, it's not just a story that happened in the Bible. It's not a story for other people, but it's, it's yours. And wherever you find yourself in the restoration of, of your relationship with Jesus, it's still part of your story. You're still in it in the moment where you are. And we're going we're gonna to address that today. Last week, we started with Hebrews chapter 10. We talked about the problem of sin and the solution to that problem, which is Jesus. Um, we talked about the fact that we're born in sin and its effects are as strong today as they were when Adam and Eve first sinned. And that the effects in our lives is still as real today. Its effectiveness to move us away from God has not changed in any way. It still separates us from God. We talked about how sin is an act of rebellion, that, that when we choose to sin, it's because we are convinced or we're saying to ourselves that what we want is better for us. I almost said more better. <laughs> it's better for us, we think, than what God intends for us. Um, and we, we see as we walk in obedience to the Lord that that's not actually true. Um, so we, we see that Jesus, what we talked about last week, is that he is the way to restoration. That was God's plan for redeeming his people, for restoring the relationship that was destroyed by sin. Um, that problem's fixed by Jesus through his life, his death, and his, re- and his resurrection. What we, what we really emphasized last week is that the problem's only solution is Jesus. Culturally, we think that we can work harder and do better, and that will bring us closer to God. But what we discovered yesterday, or last week through the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, is that what that actually does is further separates us from God, because instead of following His intended plan for our restoration, we try to do that on their own. And we're going to see the author address that again today as we move forward in chapter 10. But God's desire is not for us to just do more stuff for Him. Uh, His desire is for us to know Him. That's why we were created in the garden, was because God wanted something to love, something that was like himself. That's why we were created in his image. That's why we're not like all the other things that he created, that we are separate and set apart. I want us to remember that his goal for our redemption is to restore us. And when we're making decisions about how that restoration takes place, we're still messing up the dynamics. I was thinking about it this way this week. Imagine for a moment that you need to have an appendectomy. That's where they take your appendix out when you get appendicitis. And, and it hurts. I don't know if you've ever had appendicitis, but it's not fun. Um, it hurts and you need to have surgery. And the doctor recommends that. And you say, yes, let's do it. And you're in the, the room right before the OR. They're about to give you the anesthesia. And you go, wait, hold on, time out. I've, I've changed the way I want to do this. Doctor, I would like to perform the surgery today on you. And that presents two problems. Number one, you're not a surgeon. And number two, he doesn't need to have his appendix taken out. You do. But you see, when we, when we try to fix the problem of sin in our own way, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, I, I'm not the one with the problem. It's, it's you that has the problem, actually. And I'm going to fix it for you. Do you see how ridiculous that is, right? But when we think that we're trying to do something for God, we're getting the relationship all out of whack. And we're putting ourselves in God's place and putting God in ours which is not the way it's supposed to work. And you see the problems that come along with that. Jesus fixed the problem of sin by living in obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. And because of that, because of what he did, because of his obedience, he is the perfect 
priest and the perfect sacrifice, which is what the author of Hebrews has been talking about for the last several chapters. So today, as we move forward in chapter 10, we're going to see the author continuing his case of why Jesus is the solution. Okay, so let's read together. Let's see what God has for us today. So we're going to read verses 11 through 18 in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's now waiting until his enemies are made, a foot, made his footstool. For one by one, for, excuse me, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So what I want us to, to just get right off the bat, right from the beginning this morning, is that daily sacrifices cannot remove sin. He says that in the first verse, in verse 11 that we read today. And I want to remind you what we talked of last week, that when, we're, when he's talking about the priest and the sacrifice, that's Old Testament stuff, right? But when we try to live our lives to be pleasing to God in order or to do good things in order to please God, it's just like those daily sacrifices. We are working in an attempt to appease God, to make atonement for our sin by doing good stuff. But what the author of Hebrews is saying again is that daily sacrifices cannot remove sin. Last week, one of my, my main points is, is that we try to make those adjustments day by day in order to please God. And that's the same thing that the priest we're doing day to day. And not only are those sacrifices not needed or wanted, they're pointless. We're going to see why in just a second. Verse 11 through 13, uh, he's reemphasizing the point. I'll tell you what, we'll just read verse 11. It says, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. The author is making a very specific point. These sacrifices were required and repeated daily. Look at Numbers chapter 28 verses 3 through 8. This is what he's talking about when he says daily sacrifices. He's not exaggerating. Look at what it says in Numbers 28. And say to them, this is the food offering you are to present to the Lord. Each day, right, each day, present two unblemished year-old male lambs as a regular burnt offering. Offer one lamb in the morning and the other lamb at twilight, along with two quarts of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a quart of olive oil, from crushed olives. It is a regular burnt offering established at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. The drink offering is to be a quart with each lamb. Pour out the offering of beer to the Lord in the sanctuary area. Offer the second lamb at twilight along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering as in the morning. It is a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Every day, beginning of the day, end of the day, the priest had to make these sacrifices, had to make these offerings to the Lord. That doesn't include the offerings that they had to do on the Sabbath, the monthly offerings, the celebration of Passover, the festival of the weeks, the festival of the trumpets, the day of atonement, or the festival of shelters and other things. Like there's a ton of sacrifices that had to be made on a regular basis, but the daily sacrifices had to happen. Literally every day there were sacrifices and offerings being made but here's the thing, none of it removes sin. What did the author of Hebrews say last week that the sacrifices were about? 
It was a reminder of sin. It didn't do anything for the sin. Knowing how many sacrifices are required, do you see how significant it is now that the author of Hebrews has been saying over and over that he's made one sacrifice for all time? It's a big deal. The whole religious culture changed after Jesus. Now instead of these priests having to do this at the beginning of every day and at the end of every day, literally toiling their days away for these sacrifices, Jesus did it once, it was over, it was done. Before we just cruise past this, I want us to bring it home for ourselves. Ask yourself this, how often do you realize your guilt and then decide that you should offset that by doing something good? Air quotes for those listening to the podcast. That may not be a struggle for you or you may not even realize that you're doing it, but it's a thought that many in our culture struggle with. There's this idea that one day we're going to stand before God and there's going to be this big cosmic scale there and all your good is on one side and all your bad is on the other and you hope with your fingers crossed that when you're standing before God that the good side will tip the scale and will be heavier than the bad side which means you'll enter heaven. That's the idea that's in people's minds. The problem with that idea is that it's just not at all true. That's not how it works. If you're waiting until you die to know how you did to know if you're going to get to heaven, spoiler alert, you're not going to do well. Because we can never do enough good to offset the bad. That's not how the system works. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. I want want you to see this point made in Scripture. It's not just Will saying it. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. We're included in that, right? There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. That's Paul saying that. Paul, who was like the greatest of Jews, dude had all the insignia. He was the man in the Jewish world. He was one of those priests making those daily sacrifices. He understands. We understand. We know ourselves. We know the parts that we try to hide from everybody so that they don't see the sin in us. He goes on to say in in verse 20, he says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. No one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. You know what that means? That means that if you're hoping that that scale is going to tip to the good side, even if it did, It does not justify you. So even if with your fingers crossed you hope with all that you are and you work really hard, even if you stand before God and it still tips to the good side, all the bad disqualifies you, no matter how good you are. Because the law cannot justify you. And that's where that law system, right? That law system is the scale. That's what determines what is good and what is bad. We talked about that last week. And it doesn't matter how good you are, the bad makes you unholy and does not allow you into the presence of God. The law is the plumb line. It decides what's good and what's not. And this verse 20 in Romans 3 makes it really clear that nobody's going to be justified, no matter how good you are, because of the bad as well. That bad, that sin, that rebellion that started in the garden separated us from God. How many sins did it take Adam and Eve to get separated from the Lord? One. It doesn't matter how much good they did after that, what were they still separated from God because of the one sin. 
All the law can do is show us that we are not good. That's all it was ever intended to do. Daily sacrifices or good works, whatever you want to call it, will not bring us closer to God or earn His approval. Forgiveness and removal of sin only comes through Jesus. That's point number two for today. Jesus' work is done, and now He sits waiting for his, turn, his time to return. Look at Hebrews verses 12 through 14 with me. It says, But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You know, I never thought about this until I was studying this week, but we've looked through, we read through some of it when we went through Exodus, and we've read through a bunch of it as we were studying the book of Hebrews. But in the description where God tells Moses how to build the tabernacle, and then later they use those same instructions to build the temple, you know the one thing that's not discussed or not mentioned in all of those instructions? Chairs. See what's happening right there? Chairs were not mentioned. You know why? So those priests didn't have time to sit. Listen to this from one of the commentators I read this week. It said, significantly, there were no chairs in the tabernacle, no provision whatsoever to sit down. Priests stood or kept moving because their imperfect work was never over. But Jesus, in exact fulfillment of the Melchizedek and prophecies of Psalm 110.1, which is what's being quoted in this section, the Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sat down forever at the right hand of honor and power. Jesus rests. Our salvation, as we have said, is a done deal. Our perfection is accomplished. And in the timelessness of eternity, our holiness will go on and on. The fact that he mentions that Jesus is sitting is no small thing. He sat down because it's over. And if you hear nothing else today, I want to make sure that you hear this. That this was decisive. Jesus sacrificed himself. It was one sacrifice for all time. Game over. End of the story. Your sin was dealt with. It shows the completeness of what Jesus has done. And if we're still not convinced, even after that, if you still in your mind or in your heart are saying, but yeah, but Will, i got to be a good person, right? If you're still not convinced about the lack of need for us to work for our salvation, consider that the earthly priests, who were just like you and I, had to make daily atonement for sin. And if you're relying on that idea of your salvation, not only will it not work, but you will spend your whole life worrying about keeping your scale balanced or tipped in the good direction, and you will never have an opportunity for rest. You will toil your life away for something that will not work. Or, or you can trust and put your faith in Jesus and accept the complete work that was done on your behalf. It's already done for you. Jesus completed the work and allows you to rest in Him. Look at Romans 3, 21 through 25. We read this last week, but I wanted to read it again today. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. 
I wanted to bring this out because it helps us understand what the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 14. He says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Our perfection, our acceptance by God was taken care of by Jesus if we will simply put our faith in him. And I want, to, I want to share with you today that when we see that word perfected, we think of something different than what the author of Hebrews intended. When we think of something that's perfect, when we read that, our minds immediately say, Jesus made me perfect. And that's confusing because when we look at our own lives, you look at a guy like me who's been a believer for a long time and a pastor of a church, and you see me mess up, you go, well, what's the deal here, Will? That's confusing. Scripture says you're perfect and you ain't perfect. Amen? All right. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> The word that's translated as perfect means complete or whole, adequate, having arrived at the desired end. That's what he's talking about. The author isn't saying that we're perfect. He's saying that the work of Jesus on our behalf has been perfected or it has been completed. The work has been completed. The desired end has been reached We've been made wholly acceptable for a relationship with God by the work that Jesus did. Church, I want you to hear, say that out loud with me. I have been made wholly acceptable. Is it by what you did? No. You're wholly acceptable because of what Jesus did. And guess what else happened? Not only did the relationship get restored, but something else happened with that law as well. Now instead of the law being an external force that acts upon us, it has been moved into us. We, when, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us and the perfect law is now a part of who we are because of what Jesus has done. Look at what he says in verses 15 through 17 in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. I, I want to just point this out real quick. The Holy Spirit just pointed it out to me. You know the difference between a covenant and a contract? We've talked about this before, but it's been a while. A contract says, I'm going to do X, Y, Z if you also do X, Y, Z. A covenant says, I'm going to do X, Y, Z regardless of what you do. And that is significant when it comes to our salvation. The Holy Spirit is saying, I am making this covenant with you. That I will put the law in your hearts and write them on your minds. So even though we struggle with sin, the Lord is going to continue to do what he said he's going to do. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in him, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And part of that what that means is now that law that was external is now internal. Listen to another commentator. He said it this way, and I really liked it. He said, instead of putting his laws on stone tablets, they're placed in the very center of, of a believer's being so that there is an inner impulse that both delights in knowing his law and in doing his will. Isn't that cool? When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, something changes scripture says we become a new creation and we're a new creation because now that law that was external and only pointed out our sin now that law is inside of us and the law the holy spirit gives us the desires there's an inner impulse that delights in walking in obedience to the lord 
The very thing that had enslaved us because of Jesus now gives us life. Isn't that neat? The most important part of this is that instead of us and our power trying to fulfill the law in an external set of requirements, the Holy Spirit is now working in our hearts and as we obey His leading, we're fulfilling the law. Not because of what we can do, but because of who He is in us. Jesus fulfilled the law by walking in obedience to the law and we too, because of the Holy Spirit, can also fulfill the law when we walk in obedience. The author of that commentary went on to say, this is what happens when God writes His will in our hearts. The new life within purges the deadness from our lives. Our renewed hearts pump fresh blood through us. The life of Christ in us, the same life that said, here I am, I have come to do your will, O God, animates us. I love that. The life of Christ in us animates us. No longer is it us trying to do our thing, but the, the living God is in us, working through us. Christ did all the work to restore us, and he's going to continue to work in us so that we can fully appreciate that work. And then finally, to end with verse 18, it says, Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. So the third thing I wanted to share with you today is that his forgiveness is complete and it is final. It was done. In closing through the thought in this section, he's more or less repeating, the author of Hebrews is repeating what he's already said. And as we saw a few minutes ago, Jesus is sitting down. The work is over. Prior to Jesus, the priest worked all day, every day, to no avail. Nothing got better and the cycle would never end. And church, if we are still in that works-based mentality, we're caught in the same cycle, working day after day after day with no end in sight because what we're hoping to accomplish can never be accomplished. We can never be good enough on our own because Jesus fulfilled the law and offered us his forgiveness. There's nothing else that needs to be done except to accept him. No daily, weekly, monthly, or even yearly sin offerings are needed. No daily, yearly, monthly acts of goodness are required. Jesus did it once and he did it for all. The daily grind that so many of us had accepted for years of trying to be a good person, we can let go of that. I loved Kara's testimony this morning that the enemy's been lying to her and newsflash, he lies to all of us. That's what he does. I love that the Holy Spirit was able to speak to her this week and free her up from that. This is the message that we need to hear and need to share. Um, I'm going to share a story real quick. I, I might get in trouble for it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, when Bethany was in Fort Worth last week, she and the rest of the class were asked to, to give a brief introduction to the guest speaker. And so they do, and she says, I'm Bethany I'm from the Gathering Place West, we're the Southern, uh, Southern Baptist Church. And Marco, the guy that leads the, the, the class that she's in, said, he chimed in and said, yeah, but y'all aren't like other Southern Baptist churches. Y'all are way different from that. And so she was telling me that, and I'll be honest, Kind of was like, yeah, we're not. That's, you know, and, and it's not because I just like being different. I don't. It's because the way we approach God is differently, not because we're good people, but because we understand grace. Because we understand what it means to hear from the Lord and to do what he says. We understand the freedom that comes from walking in obedience. 
And to me, that was such a great confirmation of what the Lord is doing in our body. What I love about this people that we call the gathering place is the desire and the willingness to simply walk with Jesus, to be God's and to be enough. Just who you are, the way God created you is enough for him. That we don't have to try to be something else. Again, Kara's testimony this morning, speaking that same thing. You don't have to look like somebody. You don't have to act like a certain thing. God created you the way he wanted you to be. And he loves you just how you are. There's no expectation other than each of us being genuine in our relationship with God and doing what he asked us to do. What we've all discovered is that grace and freedom that come when we finally give up trying to be somebody and we just be God's. While we may still have some struggles in walking with grace from time to time, that is our desire. That is our goal is to to understand his grace and to walk in obedience as he leads us. Listen, I'll be the first to admit, this was a long, hard road for me to get to this place where we are today. Because I, like many of you, grew up in a, in a culture where I had to be a good person. I, I joke, there's a few pictures to, to, on Facebook and, and in my home to, to show you guys, but I used to have really long hair um, because I thought that was necessary for me to be a youth pastor. Like, I'm talking about long, like it would touch like down here on my mouth and I had that chronic neck condition where you... And I was, this was before Justin Bieber, so don't put me in that category, okay? But I was trying real hard to be somebody. And it wasn't until the Lord really broke my life down that I realized who I was. That me just being me was good enough for God, and that ought to be good enough for everybody else too. And what I've, what I've come to understand is that all of the hardness that I had to go through, all the difficulties that I had to go through to get to where I understood that was worth every moment of it. And I think that you probably would say the same. That your journey to discover grace was worth it because of what you understand now. I was sharing with the Felters Life Group last week that often I fear that you guys um, think that I push you too hard. And they very quickly corrected me and said, no, Will, you don't push us too hard. You're just asking us to do what God says to do. And they're right. That is my goal. But it's not just because I want to be able to check a box and say, yep, everybody's doing what the Lord says. It's because I have discovered freedom in walking in grace, in walking in accordance to what God, what God has called me to do. And I want you to experience the same. I know what it was like to chase that need that was in me to try to be something I remember how miserable it felt to not really be me, to have a facade on so that people would accept me based on what I thought they wanted me to be. I'm past that. I'm over it now. Maybe that comes with age. I don't know. But that's what I want for you guys. I want you to be in a place where you being you, being loved by God, walking in His grace is enough for you where you experience the freedom that comes from not having to try to be something or be somebody. Jesus has already done the work. And the only way to experience that freedom is to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Those impulses that are inside of us, that's what we call abiding, is listening to what God is speaking and doing what He says and then discovering how amazing He is as a result of that. I want you to experience that in your life. I want you to learn what it means to walk in obedience. And 
I want your friends and your family to get to experience that as well. And the way that happens is in by seeing God work in your life and the Holy Spirit using them, using that to draw them in. It doesn't mean you're out there flaunting, going, look at all the great stuff God's doing for me. It's just you walking into obedience and they're going to notice that. I titled this message today, Your Restoration Story, because that story is significant. And yours is different from mine, and it ought to be because we're not the same person. But your story is important. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in the spectrum of, the re- of your redemption and the relationship with God. You could be like me and been a believer for a long time and feel like you got a good handle on grasp, or this could be brand new for you. And it doesn't matter where you find yourself. Your story is significant. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through this young lady because it's going to be significant. God has intertwined her into several people's story in our body already. Next week, we're going to look more at the benefits that come from experiencing God through this perfect relationship that Jesus has provided for us. But this week, I want us to take some time to reflect on our own stories, to think about what God has done in your life to get you from where you were to where you are today, wherever that is. And I want us to spend some time thinking through that story in preparation for the Holy Spirit asking us to share it because He is going to ask. Because your story is significant. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Not making you perfect today, but working you toward perfection when we get there. Because we're not perfect, but the work is. It is completed and it is done. I told you last week that my hope is that we could get to a place where we could put the nail in the coffin of feeling like we had to be something or do something. Well, that happened in at least one person's life this week, and that's enough, okay? But I want that to happen for you as well. I want you to be done with thinking that you have to do something, be something in order to be loved by God, because it's not true. Scripture is very clear about it. And I want us to get to a place where we can see ourselves and our own story and be able to share that with other people. So, we have a tale to tell and there's people around you that need to hear it and are waiting to hear it. So think about your story and be ready when the Holy Spirit prompts. Let's pray. Jesus, you have done what seemed to be impossible. You restored us back to yourself. Father, as we move forward this week, I ask that you would give us very distinct moments throughout our week where we can, we can just pause and remember all that you have done for us. And Father, in doing so, I know that that's going to prompt us to feel more in love with you than we already do. God, I ask that as we're thinking through that story of what you have done in our lives, God, that you would give us opportunities to find um, likeness with the people around us that you would give opportunities for people that are struggling to share in our story to be able to relate to them in a very real way god that you would create opportunities for people to see themselves in our story god this is this is what you have done for us you have brought us to a place of freedom God, give us opportunities to share that freedom with those around us that haven't yet experienced it. Work in our hearts. Make us like yourself. 
Help us to fall in love with you and the people around us. Jesus, work in us. Thank you so much for what you've done. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.